The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Time's up. Put your pencils down because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome and once again welcome, diligent scholars of footballology, to another advanced upper division seminar in Cowboys football led by two preeminent scholars of Cowboys footballology, yours truly, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and of course my colleague, as always, Dr. Danny Phantom, and we're here to give you the straight poop on the Cowboys' close <laughs> contest against the hated division rivals, who as yet will na- remain unnamed. My good doctor, how are you today? You know, I'm exhausted. You know, I'm, it's uh, been a busy week. As you know, I'm on the road and uh, recording from a hotel room. Uh, we had to do a little, of a little bit of an audible this week. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff going on, and of course... I mean, I didn't even get to, I didn't even get to properly mourn the Philadelphia game. I didn't get to do my tape review. It's just been, I just had no time because I've been busy with other things. But just really tired, um, you know, as we're moving forward towards the the end of the week. Uh, but I will say this: I did kind of have a little moment of just comfort uh, last night when I was just laying down all by myself, quiet hotel room, turning on the tube. And it just, I happened to turn on City Slickers, the Billy Crystal movie. And nice. I mean, I, I enjoy that movie. I think it's a good movie. I mean, I wouldn't go out there and say, oh, that's like an awesome, you know, comedy movie. But I would say enjoyable. But it, it just kind of brought in some comfort. Just kind of like, oh, you know what? This is exactly what I needed. I just kind of needed a little bit of time to just kind of, you know, relax and watch that type of movie. And But I wanted to ask you... Um, is, is there any movies out there, any comedies in particular, that are, do you feel are maybe just don't get enough credit that are actually, hey, pretty good movie, um, but, you know, people really aren't talking about them a whole lot? Well, so, the, you know, the, you know, this is a tough question for me because I actually think most comedies are stupid. I think yeah, most, I don't, yeah. Most, most like, stu- you know, I think most like idiot comedies like, uh, you know, Step Brothers or whatever, those, you know, uh, are, are, are pretty bad. So, but I do think there's one... 
now I don't know that it's I don't know that it's underrated because I think it's actually fairly highly rated, but I think it holds up. I think it's hilarious. I think there's several performances in there from people that you might not have expected to be good that are really good. And that is a fish called Wanda. Yes. I love a fish called Wanda. And honestly, I, for me, Jamie Lee Curtis was an absolute revelation in that. I didn't know she was funny. I mean, I knew she had been in other things. I know she was good in trading places. Another one that's on my, on my list of, of great comedies. Um, But, and she was good in trading places, but she was, uh, I didn't know she had such good comedic timing, you know? Um, And so, but in Kevin Klein is good. And of course all the, all the pythons are in in that, that, but that, that, that's one of the, the comedies that continues to, to hold up for me over time that I will always like, if it's on, it's one of those things where like Shawshank, if it's on yeah. you know, halfway through, I don't care. I'm going to go ahead and sit and, you know, I'm going to grab a snack and watch the rest of it. You no, know, great choice. No, absolutely. That's, that's a hilarious movie. I, uh, I, I mean, I do like, there's a lot of movies that I do find entertaining, you know, just another one that I, you know, kind of just more of a kind of a comfort comedy movie is I like uh, Roxanne with Steve Martin. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. I think there's a lot of good jokes that land in that one, um, but yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. To, to me, sometimes when you just when you just kind of need to relax, you know, you can put down put put one of those just harmless comedies in there and uh, just kind of put you in a, a different mood. Um, so, so, so let me actually ask you a quick trivia question about City Slickers, since that was the one that started this conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you remember which actor, who's only in the scene at the very end, played Billy Crystal's son? Who? Oh yeah, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, a young Jake Gyllenhaal who's like you know eight or something at the time shows up at the airport at the end, right? Yeah. And I think that's the, might be might be his only scene. And uh, that was that was Gyllenhaal's sort of like big movie debut. Oh, um, I, would, I would have not been able to answer that question a couple of days ago. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Listen, I'll tell you a couple of things that weren't so nice, uh, and that was that the Cowboys. Um, came very, very close to pulling out a victory against their hated division rival. Um, oh, why do you got to bring that up? And they missed up on a great opportunity to make all their totally oh, loathsome fans unhappy. You really go in there? And, and we have to talk about it. But before we do, because this was a, a game against a division rival, and um, actually, it's funny, this question was sparked by the post-show discussion of the fact that the Cowboys did such a great job limiting A.J. Brown's um, receiving yardage after he had multiple games where he had, I think had over 125 yards. It made me think back to the fact that the Cowboys back in the late seventies, early eighties were the team, the first team or were the team rather to break Harold Carmichael's re- consecutive games with a reception string. Hmm. And, and it was one of those things where like, I think Dennis Thurman hit him and hurt him. And so he only didn't play the whole game. And of course the Eagle fans ever since then, have been, oh, Cowboys cheated, you know? And so, um, you know, they, they sort of feel like that was unfair. The that sounds like that sounds like it did, did something dirty. At any rate, it made me think of those old, you know, seventies and eighties uh, NFC East division rivalry games, and you know, the the thing I always go to as an old head is the uniforms. And so, whenever I think of those old games, I think, oh yeah, those old you you know uniforms that our rivals used to have. The Cowboys, thankfully, haven't changed theirs much, but our rivals have, and they've come and gone. So I kind of wanted to ask you as another old head, which which uniform from one of our division rivals do you really like, you know, when you when you when you think back, which one do you like best? Is there a uniform that you feel particularly uh, you know, um passionate about? Oh, well, a favorite. 
I will say this. I mean, you you know this about me is, you know, I, I'm very nostalgic about our period, right? You know, like when we started watching the game. So like right then, those uniforms just popped to me. So everything that happened in the late 70s, early 80s are like heavenly to me when mm-hmm. it comes to... Um, um, but I will say this. I, I, I will say I wasn't particularly fond of the... The, the Eagles uniforms. I like the helmet design. I thought, I mean, of course, you know, you know, Eagle wing thing. I mean, how can you mess that up? Uh, so they, I like that. But I felt like their jerseys were just kind of like, it almost seemed like practice jerseys. They didn't, I don't know if it was the color or the mesh of something about, but I just didn't care for the Eagles mm-hmm. jersey. With all the like stripes all the way up to the shoulders, like yeah. different, different, different stripes and different thicknesses. Yeah. But I, uh, I will say this, uh, I, I, and I do like. Um, I think the Giants are fine. I think the, the I think the Air, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who are in our division uh, back then, um, were eh, plain, but I liked it. I, I mean, classic, I, right? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. That was it. Was them? I mean, I don't know how, how if I would be too jacked about it if that was the uniform of my team, but it's, I'm glad it's them, and I like it. And I, I no. but I will say this: the the as much as I did not like the team, um, I have to give Washington credit because, you know, that uh, that burgundy, maroon, whatever you want, the, the way that just uh, the way it went well with the with the yellow. And I like their roads. I like their homes. I just they, they were kind of like almost a little bit like Dallas. They were the, the dark, you know, reds where we were the dark blues. And they kind of had followed the same kind of, pattern and like they were one of the few teams that had like the colors on the on the pants but then the white jersey mm-hmm. on the top so uh and the yellow pants and the white jersey yep and everything re- went really well i just i think i like the color coordination there so i would say i probably have to go with the early 80s uh washington team with you know back in the you know the joe theisman john riggins days so let me ask you this because they actually changed their uniform. So if like the Billy Kilmer Washington team had like the the multiple like white and yellow stripes on the sleeves and then they went to like one big broad like white stripe and one big broad yellow stripe in like the Joe Gibbs era. So which of those two uniforms are you talking about? I think the Joe Gibbs era. I mean, I okay. honestly would have to go back and and look at it to, to compare, but I believe it's it's the Joe Gibbs era. Oh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I think the colors are fun, but I, I honestly, I, I like that old Billy Kilmer, Dave Butts, you know, um, with the multiple stripes on the, on the, on the jersey, and of course the yellow pants. I actually thought those those um, Joe Gibbs uniforms were were awful. I, I just for something about something about them, um, and I hated those those teams, of course, as well. That's probably I have to why. say that the, the, the uniform that you've just talked to. So I basically I think we we feel opposite about this, which is so unusual because usually we agree on all this sort of like old, old nostalgic stuff. Um, I will say that the uniform that I really liked was the one that you just sort of poo pooed, which is that sort of like Harold Carmichael, Bill Berge, Ron Jaworski, you know, uh, Eagles uniform with the multiple stripes. It was just so weird and ugly in seventies. It was fantastic. <laughs> There's actually one other one. There was like the Larry Zonka Giants that had an unusually la- large, wide stripe on their pants. That it was just a kind of goofy uniform for a year or two there in like the late seventies, early eighties. It was very like high concept design that was taking them out of the. I mean, they basically had the same old, you know, New York uniform since the Frank Gifford era. And then, and then for a couple of years there, they had this sort of updated. There was a new Giants logo on the on the helmet. And it was just like goofy, like 
fun 70s design um for a team that actually you know ultimately like you know got drafted lawrence taylor and became a great team for a few years so um but uh, yeah i i would say that uh there have been some really great great uniforms and i think the thing that makes them the greatest for me is as you were just sort of talking about the colors are such a nice contrast to the team that basically has the best uniform in professional sports, mm-hmm. which is our, our Dallas Cowboys. Yes. And since the Cowboys are in their whites so much, the fact that there's like a green Jersey Eagles team and there's a sort of maroon Jersey um, uh, uh, Washington team, you know, the, those, those are such nice contrasts to the blue and white that those division games, especially back in those days uh, were always kind of, kind of a delight. Yeah. But listen, I, I, I want to say one thing. I, I do, yeah. I do find it both odd and, um, clever that the Cowboys have a different ensemble as far as mm-hmm. how they go from home and away because they're you know they're not coordinated like other teams are they just where you'll still see this because we're Navy you know we're Navy when we're on the on the road and and then of course they just go with the that sea you know seafoam green um with for at home which I mean uh, which long-time Cowboy fans got to love it. I mean, and it depends on what, what kind of definition you get your TV, but there's just sometimes where that just looks so magnificent. So, I mean, um, but they're just, it's different. It's like they have a, just a special cord because they don't use that color for anything else. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. part of the road jersey. So I just, I don't know. I find that, uh, I, like, I agree with you. Cowboys have the best jerseys, but they also, they get to cheat a little bit because they're a little bit, you know, they get to just do something a little different too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you what wasn't a little different, which is uh, another close, uh, you know, Cowboys road loss to another good mm-hmm. uh, NFC opponent. So let's let's dive into that. I know we don't want to. It's like diving into the shark infested pool, but um, we we do need. I think we do need to talk about it before we look forward to the the game against the Giants, because frankly, there are many fewer interesting storylines against the Giants who are about yes. as hapless, hapless an opponent as we may have faced in the last five to 10 years, frankly. Um, so I let, let me just, let me just start by asking you, where are you sitting with, with this? What's your overall mood and feel after the game in the wake of everything you saw? Well, it's kind of difficult because I have a lot of different moods and feels and i'm really still trying to sort them out myself um honestly you know as you know rabs i am a look past the results guy so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, while i don't necessarily subscribe to this whole moral victory thing i do subscribe to the fact that you got you got a lot of things over here that that were good you got a lot of things over here that were not good and whether win or lose those things all matter and um so and there's a lot to really take in there because, I mean, honestly, had this game ended differently, and and, and it should have. And if, I mean, had it, it ended, it very, it very well could have. It very well could have. Yeah, I mean, ah, I could, you could have just taste it. And um, we, I think, Cowboys Nation would just be feeling completely different. It would. I mean, it's it's weird to think about about just some small little change, and and that could have just create such a um, a contrasting feeling for how we feel about this football team. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that shouldn't be the case because we should come out of this feeling pretty, you know, win or lose. 
it should feel that the team is what they are, that this is how they play. So I will say, I just want to say this. I, if we're genuinely looking past the results, you know, and I, it's tough to, to figure out how we should feel about this. But I want to say this. The reason I don't feel so good is because even though there's a lot that they did well and could have won this game and we could be on cloud nine, uh, it's just been the Cowboys' way, you know, to just not finish. We've always just kind of been sucker punched in the end. And, you know, they just didn't make enough plays to get the job done. But but I, I want to quickly just I want to run through these this emotional roller coaster real quick. I know you got a lot to say on this, but I mean if you if you start things off with the, the with the swings early, you know, three and out for us. Philly goes down, scores. Uh oh, we're in trouble. Then what happens? Cowboys back to back touchdown drives. Philly goes through mm-hmm. and out the middle. And look at this. Hey, the Cowboys are alive and stuff. Then Philly pretty much dominated the the third quarter and. We're in a hole. It's not looking good. But then that fourth quarter surge came. And then you had a, a series of instant instances where we're basically, you know, just a little bit short here or there, whether this play, that play, or the other, just like so close. And just uh, and then finally culminating to like that final drive, you know, to where we got down there to, the, I think, the six. I think we got, um, and I believe we got down there at the six twice and came away with nothing in the, in the fourth quarter. But the last one, you know, we could actually – taste this epic comeback and how we were going to feel on Monday when we we're going to have this big road win against the Eagles and just, you know, look at number one, playing for number one seed, all this, all the stuff that comes with it only to just fall short. And then it's just, that is why this feels so terrible. Um, but Rabs, can, you know, where are you at with your feelings? Well, listen, you and I have talked about this uh, a million times. I've sort of two things in response. The first is, and this is the thing we've talked about a lot that uh, close games in the NFL are a 50, 50 toss up. Right. And so we've talked about this before. Good teams don't win close games. Good teams avoid close games because close games can be decided by uh, a fumble or a non fumble because the ball is oblong and bounces weird ways. Close games can be decided by a referee call, which is, of course, a, it's a very subjective thing. Close plays can be called by, or rather, close games can be determined by, um, you know, a, a mental error or you know, a, some sort of some sort of substitution problem. It's all there's so many things that can decide a close game, and I think that this game is is maybe the best if not one of the best examples of this thesis that I've seen in quite some time, I really feel like these two teams, we talked about this going in. These two teams are very evenly matched. I really feel very strongly that, you know, there's that, there's that uh, internet meme where the two Spider-Men are looking at each other and pointing. Right. That's, that's the Cowboys and the Eagles. They, I mean, some people are talking about how oh, the Cowboys are better or the Eagles are better. I don't think that's true at all. I think, I think they're actually incredibly even, incredibly evenly matched. The Cowboys have some advantages. The Eagles have some advantages. Those those advantages, you know, could lead to a big win for either team. But for the most part, I think those advantages are, are going to create a series of very close games. Even last year when they had Cooper Rush and, and Gardner Minshew, those games are still pretty close. They're very evenly matched teams. And so when you have evenly matched teams, um, you know, the, the, the things that are outside your control are going to decide the game. Yeah. I think that's the part that's that's kind of frustrating for a lot of fans is, I mean, we can sit here and say, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's not, I mean, I had the, I had the Cowboys losing to Philadelphia and I, I, these are tough games and it's not that we're like extremely disappointed. I mean, because I mean, those guys came out and they, they fought 
I mean, it was. I mean, they played hard. They made a lot of good plays and stuff. But I just feel like you know we just want the Cowboys to be a, a little better. Just you know, for for have that season to where you know it's a little different. You know, where we are able to come in and and make those plays in those critical moments and. You know, because we see other teams do it, and other good teams, and we're a good team too. Uh, but the Cowboys, they they're not doing it, and it's that's the frustrating part about this. Is that I feel like we're just kind of setting ourselves up for the the way our season always, you know, finishes. You know, we'll play well, we'll have a good season, we'll make playoffs, we'll win twelve games, blah blah, and then we'll just come up and we'll just not make enough plays, and and we'll lose in in some devastating fashion like like this are the cowboys you know they do this they get down there and then something terrible happens like you know i mm-hmm. it, it just I, that's the troubling part I, I just want them to be that team that overcomes that just like gets over it you're like you know what look at us look what we can do and then they make that play and man if we did not have chances you know in this one and just couldn't do it i can't remember feeling more frustrated than I mean, when you're talking about, you know, that last drive where, like, you know, I knew nothing's going to happen when you in that situation. But then that pass interference penalty, you're at midfield, and then boom, you get hit Ferguson and plus a 15-yard penalty, and then boom, you're like right there. And all of a sudden, it's it's like it's happening, you know, and you get down there six-yard mm-hmm. six yard line with 27 seconds. How do we not win that game? Everything was, I mean, Philly was, they were dropping like flies. They were, their, their DBs were just going out. Yeah. It, it was yeah. And it, it just the Cowboys could not seal the deal. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really hard to deal with. Well, I think I think the thing about that is, or serves two. One is that the, what you've just experienced is what every NFL team of, or every NFL te- fan of every team talks about. Even te- even teams like the Patriots. I mean, they're, they, they still end up losing more than they end up winning. And, and the end of the season is heartbreak. And, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the life of a sports fan. And we are blessed to be fans of a team that isn't like the New York giants or, you know, oh. or, or, you know, or, or the, or the Atlanta Falcons or some other team that's perpetually bad all the time and never even gets, you know, and never even has a chance to have games that, that are this meaningful. So listen, I, I think I think you talked about the end, and I do want to I do want to talk about those final plays, even though I think that they're no more important in the in the greater scheme of the game than fifteen or twenty other plays, all of which could have gone a different direction, in, including three different fumbles that all bounced within the proximity of the Cowboys, and a couple of which I thought that they recovered, you know, before before uh, they they sort of untangled the pile. But before we do that, I think we have to talk about it. A couple of guys, a couple of things on offense. One of which, and I'll just put both of these out there because I'd like to hear you opine on either or both. The the thing that is giving many Cowboy fans, I think, uh, hope coming out of this game, or or their more confidence in the team coming out of this game, is the fact that this is the second game in a row where Dak and the passing game were absolutely elite. Yes. Dak was magnificent, and the passing game, as we've talked about, if they can't create explosives, then this this team, no matter how good the defense may be, is going to have a hard time winning. And guess what? feels like something happened after the bye. So since the bye, they've had one big win and one close close win. And I think, you know, in both of them, they've found ways to scheme bigger plays. And I think that that's something that we can really hang our hat on going forward. Here's the, 
the thing that's even more magnificent about Dak, which is that he's doing it even though, my gosh, he's under pressure, especially from the right side. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, Terrence Steele in this game, and I kid you not, was worse than Chaz Green was in that one game against the Atlanta Falcons that we all hold up as the kind of like, you know, archetype or litmus of bad offensive line play. Um, statistically, Steele was worse. I mean, I think he was playing against better pass rushers, so we have to factor that in. But uh, Dak has been magnificent the last two weeks, even though he's been much more consistently under duress. I think we have to look at when I when I look at at the Cowboys and the Eagles, and I see similar teams. I also see a quarterback in Philadelphia who is hitting receivers who have been schemed open and is not under duress in the same way or as often as the quarterback in in Dallas. So they're, they're statistically are very 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 similar, but I would say that uh, the the quarterback in Philadelphia is getting and we talked about this before the game is getting the easy button far more often than the quarterback in Dallas is and the quarterback in Dallas and the quarterback in Dallas is playing just as well, if not better. Mm -hmm. And so that's really something to be, but those two things go hand in hand, right? Dax play and the offensive line play are, are, they're part of a package. And here's the other reason why this is tough. This team is built to play with a lead, right? It's, it's built to dominate on defense. um, So that Dak, isn't exposed so often, right? Because he doesn't need to be because they're playing with the lead. So he can, he can play small ball. They can run the ball. They don't have to expose him as, as longer running pass plays develop, at least not as many times during the game. They can do so with more six man protections, things like that. But that depends on the defense playing well. And I'm not sure the defense played particularly well against Philadelphia. I'd love to hear what you think about. I mean, they gave up 28 points on one level, 28 points against, the, against you know, the Eagles offense. Not bad. But I also felt like there were opportunities to get off the field, and they couldn't do it. And whether by penalty or whether by not making a play, I feel like there were too many times on third and long where the Eagles just hit Jalen Hurts, had a clean pocket, hit a dude who was wide open, and it was never really contested. So, uh, and I felt, if anything, that was the thing that was most frustrating to me. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about how the defense played. You know, I'm I'm less frustrated than you are. I I mean, obviously, 28 points. That's not, you know, something you you're shooting for. Um, 
of course it was the it was only four drives that Philly you know they they only scored four times and, you're, and Philly's got a really good offense. I mean, um, and it wasn't like they were. But, but but do they? They they do. I you know I, I know that you don't. I you don't, don't. I don't know that I believe that. I know you don't. And but I I, I think I we have to give them some credit because I think, I think they have a really good scheme. I don't think I'm not sure that they're good or talented on offense. Well, I, I think they have AJ Brown and a bunch of other okay guys yeah we talked about this in our preview show and i think these other guys mm. they, they and, and it could be absolutely it could be scheme but it still works for them you know like when they are able to use gain well the way they do and goddard the way they do and mm-hmm. uh, you know and of course Devonte, you know hurt us a couple times and I, I i do think they're good i mean i, I mean they're, they're they're putting up they're a good scoring offense i mean so there's it's hard to argue that they're not but uh i want i, I want to say about our defense is i feel like you know, Philly had to use four downs to get us sometimes. They had to, mm-hmm, they had, mm-hmm. some, you know, they got some help on some bad, you know, starting field position a couple times that, you know, and, and I just feel like, and I want the Cowboys defense must give, they must get the credit for those last three, three and outs because I mean, yep, yep. I mean, that, that was absolutely huge. If you want to talk about playing clutch, you know, at the key moments, the defense actually came through. And did that not only? I mean, I mean, three and outs, and um, I mean they they were they were on top of things. So I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's a tough ask, just like it is on Prescott to just be great all the time. You know, sometimes you're going to just be one play less than great. And the, and the defense did have a couple letdowns, and I the, you know I thought, but I did I did I think they did a good job making things hard for Philly. I don't think Philly had a lot of easy things, um, and and I think Philly really had to work for and and they're, they're a good team and i mean i would love to see them you know keep one of those to a field goal or something i mean anything would have just been made all the difference in that one yeah no i, I agree i i feel like i guess the reason i'm so frustrated is is the reason you talked about which was they made it hard on on the eagles and the eagles didn't have a lot of explosives they, they obviously had a couple of you know the long pass uh, to to Smith, as you were saying, that long touchdown pass and a couple other big plays. But for the most part, they made them earn it. But I guess when you're making them earn it, the whole point of of playing defense that way is to is to create is to force them to have longer multiple play drives, and so you um, so you have opportunities to get them out the field, and they they just couldn't, they just couldn't, yeah. and and that that's what I think what's frustrating is that's they true. got them in so many, they got them in so many third downs and third downs in like longer, longer, you know, yardage situations where the tush push wasn't going to be a solution. They took the tush push for the most part other than that first drive out of the equation. And, um, but they couldn't seal the deal, even though they had so many opportunities. And as you said, if they had been able to hold them to a field goal in any of those four possessions that actually proved to be, you know, touchdown drives, then it would have been a completely different texture to this game. But listen, we are not going to be having these conversations next week because the Cowboys are going up against a terrible New York Giants team that's just been dealt another bad blow in the sense that their quarterback, Daniel Jones, is out for the year in a year that's already, for the most part, been lost. So listen, uh, we're going to attack this, as we always do, in two phases. The first is going to be rabbles roundup and then i'm going to pass the baton to you my friend and for 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 phantoms five all right sounds good so why don't you uh why don't you uh tell me a little bit about this uh new york giants football team it's time for rabbles roundup 
Okay, so as you know, I always like to look at the team's spine, right? And so the spine is the owner, although we don't talk about the owner much. We did talk about the owner last week with Jeff Lurie, to the GM, to the head coach, to the offensive coordinator. Um, I want to kind of talk about the, the Giants more historically here because one of the questions for me, as we talked about last week, is what Im- influence or impact does the owner actually have? So let me ask you a couple questions. Since 2007, when the Giants won their Super Bowl, uh, not their only one, but the, the one of the two they won in the Eli Manning era, uh, who, who have been the, the Giants GMs, the general managers? Can you name any of them? Uh, the only one that I can think of is Kettleman. Okay, good. Okay, so they've had three. So Jerry Reese took over in 2007 and actually, I think, had the draft in 2007 that um, was instrumental in putting the Giants over the top in both 7 and 11. There was a bunch of really, really interesting good players, none of whom were like superstars, but all of whom were like really, really good sort of like second-tier role players who were really, really productive. A lot of guys who ended up getting a lot of value. Um, and he rode those drafts for the rest of his career. So he was there for 10 years, Jerry Reese was, from 2007 to 17. And then he gave way finally when the Giants were just terrible to Dave Gettleman, who was there from 18 to 21. And now the last couple of years, it's been Joe, a guy named Joe Shane who came over um, from the Bills and brought Brian Dable, who had been the Bills offensive coordinator, with him. So uh, speaking of Dable, who have the, uh, who've been the Giants coaches in that same span? Can you name how many of the how many of the Giants coaches can you name their head coaches in that same span? Uh, well, I know Coughlin. Um, yep. Uh, Coughlin when he was fired. Um, who's after Coughlin? Um, well, he he had a cheesy mustache and actually was on the Cowboys uh, staff. McAdoo, for a while. McAdoo. Yep, Ben McAdoo. McAdoo. Um, so he was fired in in 2017, and and then they had an interim coach at the end of 17, who was their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo. Okay, right. All right, and that ushered out the the Jerry Reese era. So that that was a sort of ignominious ending to the Jerry Reese era, which had started so promisingly with a Super Bowl win, and then and then the Dave Gettleman era started. He had two head coaches. Can you name either of them? Uh, well, Joe Judge. I, Joe Judge. Okay, so great. So they 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 got him in and. He he proved once again that the people who have been um, tutored in the Patriot way do not make good head coaches. But he actually followed Pat Shermer, who an NFL retread, who was the Giants coach for a couple of years in 1819. Joe Judge was a coach for two years, and then obviously uh, Brian Dables come in and been the coach for two more years. So they basically they've gone with a series of guys since Coughlin. So Coughlin was the coach from 2004 to 2015. And then they went with a bunch of guys who have basically been the coach for two years. Ben McAdoo, 16-17, Shermer, 18-19, Judge, 20-21, and then now Dable, two years. And it's very, very likely that Dable is not going to survive this year. So listen, this is the mark of a bad franchise, one that continues to recycle or cycle through, rather, head coaches and general managers. Like that stability in that relationship is so key. And if we look at the Jerry Reese, Tom Coughlin era, there's, I mean, that's a really strong argument, really strong uh, GM, good head coach. Uh, You know, he was getting uh, Jerry Reese inherited some players and um, 
but also did some, did a nice job drafting some guys who were really interesting supplementary pieces to those championship teams. But since then, they have been absolutely dreadful. So, uh, who have their quarterbacks been during that period? Uh, it's been Eli Manning Part One and Eli Manning Part Two. That's right. I mean, basically, you have the two Spider Men looking at each other and pointing. So you, so Manning was the quarterback from 2004. Obviously, when they engineered that draft day trade after drafting Philip Rivers and then trading to the to the um, Chargers, who had drafted Manning first overall, and he was the quarterback until 2019. And he and Daniel Jones actually were both on the roster in 2019, and Jones has been the quarterback ever since then. I, I think a couple things have happened to the Giants. One is that they did a really, really poor job planning for the future in the end of the Manning yes. era. And we and, and listen, so similar things have happened to Cowboys teams. Like I, you know, I, the Ezekiel Elliott pick, which in many, for many reasons, was a bad pick, was made because they wanted to replace Demarco Murray and try to preserve the Tony Romo era for as long as they possibly could. It was a terrible pick, a terrible choice, a terrible allocation of resources, but they did it for one reason, and that was to try to extract a little bit more juice from that quarterback. Mm -hmm. Obviously didn't work because we know know what happened, but but the, the Giants made similar decisions where they drafted Saquon Barkley, for example, to try to preserve and get a little bit more out of Manning and try to try to keep him safe. And they made a bunch of decisions then rather than just move on or rather than try to build a team, they tried to get as much as they could out of the Manning year. And it makes sense. The dude, the dude won a couple Super Bowls. you know, I mean, look, we have to give Eli Manning credit. I think we have to probably give, listen, I don't think he was anywhere near as good a quarterback as Tony Romo, frankly, but I think we have to give him credit for being really, really good in the playoff run in the two years that they won the Super Bowl. Um, and ultimately, I think we have to give him credit for being good and keeping what looks increasingly like a completely inept franchise with completely inept ownership afloat. Because, and this is my take, and I, I, I just want to put this out there and then we can move on to Phantoms 5. When we look at this now in the long view, for the most part, everybody who's been hired has been incompetent. Right. And not only just not not good or not successful, but like radically incompetent. Gettleman, McAdoo, Shermer, Judge, radically incompetent. And the person who's signing off on these deals is one of the Maras. Who knows who's who's in charge there? But let's just like the Mara family is basically in charge of the, the team. And that person has continued to sign off. On, on radically incompetent people, which tells me that that person can't tell the difference between someone who is competent and somebody who is not. And therefore, what that means by extension for me is that bringing in Jerry Reese or bringing in Tom Coughlin was not the move of someone who had the, the, uh, the sort of like observational capacity or acuity to determine whether someone was good or not. It was the, it was the move of someone who was just downright lucky. And so the Giants are a radically incompetent team because it seems that their ownership is radically incompetent, which makes me feel a little bit better about the Joneses. I mean, the the Joneses, at least for the most part, um, and we've criticized them for this, but they understand that continuity and stability are really important things for a franchise. 
and they've done a good job of keeping Will McClay here, mm-hmm. keeping the same head coach for a long time. So you're not reinventing the wheel every two years. I and mean, the Giants are reinventing the wheel every two years, the new new a new coach, a new offensive system, a new offensive coordinator, you know, and, and, it, and there's no way you can be successful doing uh, that, conducting business in the NFL that way. Yeah. And so I think a strong argument can be made that the Giants are among, if not the worst NFL team going right now. Let's look at, let, before, before we move on to fan of five, let me just, let me just run some, some coach records, win loss records by you. Coughlin was 10 games above 500. He played, he coached for 192 games, won 102. McAdoo was a couple games under 500. But since then, Pat Shermer, 9 and 23. Joe Judge, 10 and 23. Dable had a good year last year, but he's not great this year. And he's 10, 14 and 1 and probably going to be something like, or is he 11, 14 and 1? And he's probably going to be end up being something like 11 and 22 and 1 before he's done. And he'll be out and he'll have a record very similar to Shermer and Judge. That's who this team is. This team is a team that wins about 30% of its game games because that's who the ownership group is. And so as we get further and further from the Jerry Reese Tom Coughlin era, I think we need to look back on them and go, my God, those guys managed somehow to find a way to win in the midst of radical incompetence. Yeah. And that, my friends, is Rabble's Roundup. Great stuff, Rabs. And I, I you know, I, w- I want to just add one little thing before I move forward. Um, I think, you know, we can all just acknowledge that, like, the Giants – they just weren't very good at drafting, and I think there was a period there, maybe in the mid-teens, where that you know they even acknowledged it, and so so that's where you saw a lot of free agent spending going on, and that's what teams do mm-hmm. when yep. they can't when they don't draft well, they go out there and they overspend. Of course, that just blew up in their face because that's just not the way to do it, and uh, but they had to learn the hard way. But then they, in the process, they were terrible, and they got this good draft capital, so they just kind of. You know, like you say, reinvent the wheel, and so they go back. They go back to drafting, but guess what? They're not a very good drafting team, and so you just have this team that's just—they're just not very good. And of course, it all starts at quarterback. And when we see you go from Eli, and you know, absolutely had some great moments in the playoffs, but there's times where he just wasn't a quarterback that could really take you places. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. think they got that in Daniel Jones, but maybe they will. Well, get- so, so, so let me actually put one, I'm going to add one thing to that. I think they might not be a bad drafting team. They're a terrible developing team. Okay. But then I would say, how can you develop players when you have a new head coach every right. two years? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, that goes in there. I, I never really know who to put the blame on to, but that they're just not a good talent acquiring developing team. Uh, absolutely right. So I think that that sets up, Phantoms five. It's time for the Phantom Five. Do it slowly. Do it again. It's time for the Phantom Five. What do you got? What's point the first, my friend? Okay, so I'm gonna run through this quick because I know we're short on time. So you know you mentioned it already. You know this isn't a game we're gonna get too amped about. Uh, this is my point number one. Is this is. A not-so-giant offense. Giants are last in the league in points scored. They're last in the league in yards gained. I mean, Daniel Jones is out for the year, if that meant anything. Um, Their leading pass catcher is Darren Waller, who is on injured reserve. I believe they're going to be without uh, Evan Neal in this one, I think. Um, So, I mean, just everything's just, I mean, this offense is averaging 11 points a game. 11 points a game. That's just miserable. Honestly, I don't know where the offense is going to come from. So 
not sure what to see there. But you know what? Num- point number two is what's what's the point? I mean, if you look at the worst teams in the league right now, you got Arizona, well, one and eight. Kyler Murray's their quarterback. I just making notes here. Uh, Carolina got Bryce Young, Chicago Justin Fields, New England Mac Jones, and then the Giants. You know, all, with Daniel Jones, all of these teams I mentioned are two wins or less. All of them mm-hmm. have recently drafted young quarterbacks in the first round, top five overalls, you know, at some point. or um, And you look at them, and one of these quarterbacks are going to be in position to get Caleb Williams. And they're definitely, a couple of them are going to get, you know, two of the top college quarterbacks in, in the league, you know, probably one and two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I can't even see the Giants even mustering up any energy to deliver a good game. So, I mean, I, let's face it, I, the Giants... I don't think they have them. They don't think they have it in them. Uh, they got to go out and get themselves a new quarterback. And, you know, Caleb Williams, that would be one way to, uh, I mean, I know that would scare me if he goes to New York. So I'm not, I'm kind of not rooting for that to happen. I want the Giants to go down, you know, a blazing this week, but then I'm going to start rooting for them. So I don't know. I just do not, I, I, I can see the Giants checking out in this one. So that's point number two. Uh, I want to focus more along the Cowboys in this one. The next one, three, is... Um, All right, bring it on. Let's see number three. I think this game is a good time to figure out the running game slash offensive line. And, mm. you know, I know they're expected to handle their business. The offenses look good in recent weeks, uh, with the exception of the running game, which ranks 21st in the league at 3.1, 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, the Giants' run defense is the fourth worst in the league. They gave up 4.6 yards per carry. So, I mean, it also should be noted that they traded away their best interior defensive lineman mm-hmm. in Leonard Williams. So this would just be a great game to work some things out. Running game, I don't know, and, and finding ways where they want to attack or even possibly some new offensive alignment arrangement. If they are, they got to get themselves ready for the postseason. And I do think... They need to get some things worked out. Because if they can't run the ball, that's not going to be good. Which brings me to point number four is a little less Dak and a little more someone else. And mm. I think, first off, I think we both can agree that Prescott has played extremely well recently. No question about that. Uh, the protection hasn't been good. Um, but he's improving a lot. Uh, overall, the guy's making plays all over the field. And while Dak has been great, and so has C.D., uh, I just feel like the Cowboys offense is just a, too dependent on those guys. And I want to see something else going on. Prescott right now is one of seven quarterbacks who have, has a passer rating above 100. So, I mean, regardless of what you think of that metric, I think it's just important to point out that Dak Prescott is playing pretty well this season. That's a statement I think that most people should agree with. Uh I know a few weeks ago... If you don't, you're an idiot, frankly. Yeah, you are. I mean, let's... You could say you can point to this play, that play, and things that that has hasn't gone well for Dak at points in season. But overall, his body of work, especially these last three weeks, Dak is playing well. No, let's just leave it at that. Um, but I'll tell you why. A few weeks ago, you were hearing me crying out, like you know, please take the training wheels off of Prescott. Come on, I mean, let the, mm-hmm. the Cowboys mm-hmm. coaching staff have done that in spades because now, I mean, look what Dak's doing. But, of course, fans can never be happy. And right now I'm pleading to us is please give this guy a little help. Where is that easy button supposed to be? So I want to see 
some of that happening here. I don't know if it's just getting some more players involved, some things to make things a little easier. I don't want to, as you mentioned before, I don't want Dak to have to play hero ball because that is not a sustainable formula for winning. So that's point four, four and I'm just going to finish this thing off with... Uh, Bring it home, my friend. Bring it home. Last one is uh, home sweet home. We got our fourth home game of the season. The Cowboys are absolutely just fantastic at home. Now, you know, you could point to the level of competition being there because, of course, our two toughest games were San Francisco and Philly on the road, stuff. But the Cowboys are beating teams by an average margin of victory of 26 points at AT&T Stadium. So, and of course, here we go. Another blowout on the horizon. Rabs, give me a final score prediction. I mean, I'm at the edge, I'm at the edge of my seat thinking of who's gonna, who you're going to pick to win this one. Uh, but I want you to give me a final score. Uh, let's say thirty-seven to three. Who are you taking? Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> thirty-seven to three. Is- yeah, yeah. I mean, I, listen. I, I think that all, all the things you just talked about are going to hold true. I think the the Giants are going to really, really struggle to score. They're probably they'll probably get a, a score or two. Maybe maybe they might get a couple of field goals, whatever. But um, it, listen, this is even if the Cowboys have a like a a, a real like emotional downturn after the philadelphia game it doesn't matter the the giants are so much worse and less talented and as you said i think the giants are psychologically in a much more precarious place than the cowboys are even and i think the talent difference between the two teams is actually more pronounced than it was in week one when the cowboys won 40 to nothing so i I mean part of me feels like i want to go 48 nothing but i'm I'm going to be a little more conservative and go 37 three i think that's a great Score prediction. I actually got them scored more. I got, uh, but I also got the Giants scoring a little more too. But I got, I got them Cowboys winning thirty-eight to nine. I do think. Okay. I think the offense. I can see that. Be, might be. Mm, I don't think the offense is going to be as explosive. I think it might could be one of those Dak Prescott barely throws over two hundred yards kind of games. But I do think we'll see something else. I think it probably likely see a defensive score. This could be the game that Cavante actually. You know, takes it to the house mm-hmm. and it counts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that happened. And I'm really hoping to see the running game take off a little bit too. So uh, I think the offense will come from, I'm hoping the offense comes from other places. Yeah. Let, let, I, what I really want to see more than anything is I want to see Tony Pollard get 120. Yeah. I would love to see that for sure. All right. Well, that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Logging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys Hot Topics, any matchups you'll be looking for, or what is your favorite underrated comedy, you know, let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFanum24. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver blue. And we will catch you later. Go Cowboys.